So, this bigger topic is about ethical behavior. So, we've learned last time about the non-virtuous actions of body, speech, and mind. And so, what is purification and what is this all about and what are the four point of powers? That's what we're going to get into today. But I think really the basis of it is it has so much to do with karma. So that definitely has to come up in the in the in our understanding in order for this to make any sense. The basic problem is the suffering that we have. And so there are these verses that really inform this whole talk. And they were things that I was thinking about before this topic came up. And uh, I really appreciate having the time to read and learn about this and think about it some because I was just reading the two verses, (laughs) pondering them. And now I got to fill it out with some some, uh, really good readings and teachings. So the verses that I was kind of inspired by are from Shantideva. How can I definitely be free from suffering which arises from non-virtue? Constantly day and night I should think only of this. And then he also said, the sage has said that conviction is the root of every aspect of virtue. And the root of that is constantly contemplating fruitional results. So we'll read that again at the end. But really that's what this is all about. So there's a certain level of faith that we need to develop. And faith is not always our strong suit. But it is an actual like a faith that you generate, a conviction that you generate and work to generate in your own mind about about karma, really. And they say that karma is very difficult to understand, that only the Buddhas really understand it. And the reason for that is that in the Buddhist view, there's three different kinds of like phenomena, and some things are just right there, manifest, you see it. here it is and some things you have to kind of deduce by logic like when you see smoke you know there's fire so there's a lot of things that we know objects of knowledge things that we know that we don't know by seeing pretty much all the physiology I studied was reading books I haven't ever seen those molecules that make my muscles contract but I believe it (laughs) you know so that's deduction and, you know, so we are always doing that. But then there's this third one that are ones that are extremely, I think the word is something like extremely uh, hidden. And those are actually the workings of karma is one of those. Is one of those. And what does that mean? This is how we get into problems, and uh, at least I have. What it means is that we do an action. Here's my here's what my teacher, my other teacher says. Karma is simple. Karma is easy. Good things lead to good results. Bad things lead to bad results. Karma is easy. He always says that. 
So yeah, there's a part of our experience where we believe that. So we do pretty well in that front where we have some belief because we have our own experience to go on. Like, for me, anger. I've looked at anger a bit now, and anger is always kind of makes you feel miserable. <laughs> you know? And if you look at some of these things very much, you start seeing the suffering involved in them. But there, but the problem is, is that is the time delay. We make, we do an action, a deed, and then there's going to be a result. That's what karma is all about: deed and result, action, result, cause and result. So we do something, but the result it might happen according to the Buddha's view in another lifetime. Well, we don't see that far. <laughs> we don't remember that far, and so that's pretty darn hidden from our something that we know and this is actually I think kind of a problem so there is a certain level of conviction that we have to cultivate in fact it was really interesting to read this story about um, back in the days of like the Kadapa Geshe's one of them said to the other there's all these teachings and practices about karma but they're just so difficult and the other guy said, yeah, that's true. <laughs> They're difficult to put into practice. And I was like, wow, that's funny. I've been really thinking about why they say these things, you know. <laughs> why do they say this? <laughs> what is that fruitional result? So these are the kind of things I've been thinking about and trying to make sense of. And, well, it is difficult. And, and you can just look at your own life to, to see that we've had a lot of confusion. This is the thing that draws me to Buddhism, is seeing how much confusion I've had in my life and seeing how when you have these teachings about ethics, that if you actually have, uh, can develop the conviction in some of these things that you aren't going to be able to see because the path is true, because wholesome actions lead to wholesome results and unwholesome actions lead to suffering results. The more you can understand what that means in your daily life, basically the happier you're going to be and the less suffering you're going to have. And that's the basic bottom line. And, and, and it's a huge motivator for us. Because just look at your own experience of the things you used to do that you thought were really fun you know, you know. Just think of the things you've done when you were a kid. Okay, think about first when you were under ten. Me, I played with gasoline and could have blown my hands off. My sister drank a bottle of off, thinking, "Cool," you know. She was like three. You know, something was attractive in that moment to her mind. You know, could have killed her. Me, I could have blown off my hands. Wow, I was having so much fun. You know, <laughs> think about the things that you did when you were under 10. And now think of the things you did when you were a teenager. <laughs> and we're all just looking for happiness. We all just don't want to suffer. We're out for a, a good time. <laughs> it's going to be a pretty long list if you live long enough. <laughs> so luckily we have these teachings. And the Buddha gave us those ten constructive and destructive actions, you know, so that, I mean, when I was a kid, I was like, God, I remember when I was a kid, I mean, I did some of the stupidest things. 
this one was completely out of ignorance. I remember taking a magnifying glass and just frying this grasshopper. Thinking, wow, isn't that cool? Look what the sun's doing. I was, you know, I was like probably eight, seven years old. That leads to happiness? I mean, that's, I don't know. And, the, and the, I think really the worst thing I ever did when I was that age, and it's just still, I can't understand where my mind was, is this kid wanted to come to my birthday party. And I was probably 10 years old. And I just said, no, you're not invited. <laughs> you know? And I'm, I just can't even imagine what that would have felt like to be on the other end of that, you know? <laughs> I didn't invite you, you know? I'm like, God, it's just, I think of the mind that would do that. And I don't know why, that just, that's the one thing that I think is just really hard to, to reconcile in myself. But, you know, you can think of these instances, and so, you know, you just, that's another one of ignorance. Um, so we're doing things all the time, trying to be happy. So we have to, um, we actually have to look at these things. If we don't look, it won't come to us. Like Song Kappa says this thing, if you, well, Venable, the way she says it, if you don't scratch beneath the surface, you know, it's true. If you don't examine, a lot of things seem just fine. And the way we're living our lives seems just fine. And, you know, certain things that we do, you know, we don't figure out till years later that they've really brought us quite a bit of suffering. I mean, the most easy example of that is like kind of like this falling head over heels in love, you know, and it's just all so rosy-eyed and <laughs> got the rose-colored glasses on. And, you know, a lot of times, that, you know, that never, it always changes. Let's just put it that way. It always changes. And so, I think unless unless we look, we aren't, this stuff, it won't, it won't be obvious to us unless we spend the time and look. And Tsongkhapa said the same thing. He said uh, something about, if you don't look, if you only look at the superficial, everything will seem fine to you. Your life will seem fine. Then you hit midlife crisis and you wonder what happened, <laughs> you know, or just things all fall apart and what happened. Well, if you only look at the surface, you think you're doing fine, and then everything kind of falls apart on you. And that happens to most everybody. It's just the natural result. It's the natural result of you've created the causes of suffering, and now the result has come. But you haven't seen it that way. And this is a thing when they explain this stuff, I'm just like, God, this is so helpful. This is so helpful to my mind, the stuff that I read. Because where I get caught up on things, like, wow, he just lays it all out. That's how we need to think and what, what rests on what rests on what. You know, what depends on what. For instance, um, if you don't look, if you don't scratch the surface, you're going to think everything's fine. You know, I mean, that's, that's important. That's a huge understanding right there because then you're going to look and be more honest and, and take the time. And if you think someone else is going to fix something for you, you're also going to run into problems. And we do, most of us, at least, uh, who are raised with um, the Judeo-Christian presentation, there's a part of us that looks to the external 
for, you know, fix it. I'm just going to pray and it's going to go away. And actually the Buddhists are saying that that won't work. That actually, you know, all this purification that we're going to learn about, you can say all the words. It won't work. Because it's not a matter of saying the words. It's a matter of, of actually transforming your mind. And in order to do that, you have to have certain understandings of things, but that's not enough. What Bashe Sopa, which is what I read mostly for this, um, he explained this, and it's something that we already know to a degree, but it's just so helpful to have it laid out. You can learn these different ideas, say, about karma, but unless you actually use like the three wisdoms of listening and learning and then contemplating where you really try to understand and discern what you're, you know, really get to a certain level of understanding. And that's not enough. <laughs> it won't do it. You then have to meditate and you actually have to let these things go deep into your mind to transform. That's, that's where it happens. And so what he advises us to do Constantly contemplating fruitional results, or constantly day and night, I should think only of this. What he's saying is that you can't take these teachings and go, oh yeah, you know, I do something bad, I'm going to suffer, I do something good, it's lead to happiness. Okay, let's go do something else now. <laughs> no, that won't work. What he's saying is that you have to put this in the forefront of your mind, and you have to look at you have to look at your whole, look at your day, and you have to analyze. And this is what we do when we do these analytical meditations. We start with learning, getting the general ideas, and then we contemplate things and discuss them so that we really understand things well. And then we do analytical meditation where we use those and we try to actually really look at our experience. And what we're trying to do for purification is we're trying to actually develop that first opponent power, which is regret. And, and why would we need that? Because the whole thing of the four opponent powers hinges on the regret. So let me list them first and then we'll go through them just a little bit. So there's regret, which you know we went through this a little bit this morning, so we have a little bit of familiarity. And after regret, although there are four of them, they're not done in any specific order. So I'm going to explain them a little bit in the order that I my notes are in. And the next one is the remedial action or the antidote. And then the next one we oftentimes call resolve or the determination. Really, it's turning away from faults or restraint. And the next one is the power of reliance. So of these four opponent powers, there is this power of regret. There's a power in doing a remedial action. There's a power in turning away from faults. And there's a power of reliance or um, taking refuge. It's the basis and the foundation. And we'll talk about each of these four. But it all hinges on regret. And why is that? Well, because unless we see the need to change, we're not going to change. Unless we can see that an action that we've done, unless we can see the disadvantages of it and that the harm that it causes for ourselves or others, there's no need. You know, why would you bother? There's actually no need. You have to. So the point, 
what we're trying to do when we do the four opponent powers and all of our purification practices, which we do every morning and evening here, we embed these four opponent powers in practices that we do, is um, we're actually, the whole deal is to generate these four opponent powers in our mind sincerely with, and in a heartfelt way. We can say the words. That won't do anything. It won't change a thing to say the words. You can't change your mind that way. I mean, look, at we've already tried. No one really enjoys getting angry. And you can, you can even make strong determination. You can even tell yourself, I don't want to get angry. But that never works alone. You can't just say, okay, I'm not going to get angry now. Okay, we could all say that. Everybody say, I don't want to get angry again the rest of my life. Okay, see ya. I mean, it won't work. It's not how we work. It won't work. We have, we have habits that are habitual. And so the way that they encourage us, in everything I read about this, to generate this regret is to actually look at our situation. And the way the Buddhists look at this is, is that we have been around since beginningless time. And since beginningless time, we've been creating negative karma. That's a huge mountain of karma. So, if you have something that you want to change in your life and you learn these teachings, even that alone won't change a habitual pattern that's been with you for a very long time, maybe through lifetimes. You can look at your own life. I mean, most of us can remember maybe from the time of two or three years old. And you can look and see certain things that come up again and again. And as you get a little older, you know, you kind of recognize patterns and you start to change things just naturally because they lead to suffering. But you can see even in the things that you've worked on that it's not, it just, it doesn't happen really quickly. And I think that's the really helpful thing to understand is that the teachings on karma, what they're telling us is that we've been doing this for a long time. We have this mountain there. And just like Geshe Tetrot said when he was here before, because we get discouraged, you know. We get discouraged. We're, we're learning these things. We're trying to change our lives. We want to be happy. And it doesn't go that way all the time. And so what he said is that, well, I'm going to paraphrase it. Basically, think if you went to Mount Rainier, this huge mountain, and you brought a bulldozer there. And that mountain was your mountain of negative karma from beginning this time. And now you're going to bulldozer shovel full by shovel full. Take that mountain away. That's actually basically the analogy of what we're trying to do. We have negative karma from beginning of time. If you actually look at your day and you really slow your life down and you learn, you know, it helps to have a teacher, you look at these things, you'll see in your mind that if you look at your actions and your motivations, you will see that we're often, I mean, I don't think you, it's hard to go through an hour <laughs> without some thought, at least, coming up. The way we look at it is that there's a action to body, speech, and mind. The actions of the body are the easiest ones to work with. It's, it's a lot, it's, they're just easier. It's just the way it is. It's easier to, to um, control those actions. It's a little harder for us to control our speech. It just comes flying out of your mouth sometimes. You know, just, and even though you have a lot of intention that you don't want to, sometimes the things just come because of the state of your mind and you have the seeds, 
you've created these seeds, you have these seeds in you, and now you have the right conditions, and oh, there it goes. And then there's the actions of the mind, which is really a lot harder to attain. And so that's basically why we want to understand this, look at our lives and be honest with ourselves. I mean, by the time I got done reading this, I was like, yeah, I want to purify. (laughs) Because the thing is, is that from the Buddhist viewpoint, all of these negativities or negative actions are, I guess I would say, changeable. They're not permanent. It's not like um, you have like this permanent sin that you did that you can never remove. Every action that you've ever done that's unwholesome, non-virtuous, un, you know, that's going to lead to suffering, every single one of those can be purified if you have the correct method and the and effort over and it takes over a period of time because of our habitual tendencies. And that just makes common sense for anyone who's tried to change things in their life. You can see it takes time. But it also takes method, you know. And this method is the four opponent powers. And so we have, in order to generate regret, we have to try to wrap our minds around seeing things in this way. Because if you don't see, even if you don't believe in other lives, if you don't see that you have a habitual tendency that you've been doing for a long time, even if you just take it to this life, and you think that you're going to try to change something and it doesn't change overnight, you'll get discouraged and you'll quit. You have to have a bigger view, a longer perspective. You have to be more realistic. That's not realistic. So I think uh, it's good to, you know, to be realistic. And the other side of it is, which I... I found this analogy really helpful is understanding that these negativities, these negative actions, they, okay, they leave what we say are these karmic seeds. That's the words we use in Buddhism. These energy traces, whatever you want to call it. We've created these deeds. They're going to have a result. And one of the results is is similar to the cause. We're going to do these actions again. We've kind of gotten in the habit of doing certain things and we'll tend to do them again. We're creatures of habit. So, if you want to um, think about changing that, it's really helpful to know that they aren't permanent. And just like if the analogy is, is if you had water and you put it next to heat, eventually all of that water would evaporate off and be gone, every single molecule. And this is the way our negative karmic seeds, I'll just use the terminology for it, if you bring them next to this purification practice, and they get close to each other, which means you're trying to turn your mind this way. There's nothing else that can happen except for for them to get burnt, you know, to get uh, vaporized off. That's it's it's the natural way of things. It's, it's just how it works, basically. So what you have to do, and this is I'm talking to myself now. I have to repeatedly contemplate fruitional results. I have to look at these things and just tell myself, you know, this isn't going to help me, you know, and uh, and see that what leads to what, you know, this this tendency I have, it's only going to lead to suffering. And, and I have to stop, slow down, and look at things that way and see it that way and, and generate regret so, you know, so that I can 
make the determination to want to change. Because unless you regret something, why would you determine to change it? It's working for you. You know? So that's the that's the thing, regret. So that's the first of the four planet powers. The second one is this applying the antidote to so the remedial action. And so I think there it's helpful to think about the analogy of like poison. If you've taken a poison, not you know, this is the kind of regret that we want to have, like Kevin was saying, it's not guilt. If you take a poison, you want to get a good doctor and you want to get something that you do to remedy it right away. And this is what this is about, is the remedial action and the remedy. So in our situation, I think that recognizing that we have this chronic illness, seeing ourselves as a patient, you have to get yourself in that mind frame. If you, if you come to the teachings and you come to this practice thinking that you don't have any problems, I mean, you wouldn't have any regret. <laughs> you know? You have to see yourself as a patient. And then you turn to the doctor, you take the medicine, and if you, you know, then and you have to um, generate, hmm, that's not the word, you have to, you have to try these things enough, like a little scientific experiment, that you actually get some level of conviction in them, in your own experience. And you slowly, slowly, by, by trying to understand uh, these four opponent powers and using them again and again, then you generate, you will have some experience, that, and that will be the basis. You know, that will help with the conviction that you develop, is your own experience. So just like, you know, when you've regretted something in the past and you've you know, determine that you didn't want to do this again and you maybe even gone and apologize or whatever. There is this psychological unburdening that happens then. You know, if you look at your own experience of what works in your life and what doesn't. And just like Kevin was saying, you know, if we go to guilt, it doesn't work. It's all about me. So when we think about the uh, remedial actions, they, we have to think that we've taken a poison and now we're going to apply an antidote. And just like applying, putting heat near liquid water and all is going to evaporate off, this is what will happen with these karmic seeds, habitual tendencies that we have. This is, it's just the natural response. And so the various methods um, we do practices here. There are ones that they um, teach about different methods. But I'm just going to, instead of listing the ones that they do, I'm just going to talk about what we do here at the Abbey. We use these four opponent powers, and we generally do it in two practices. And one is the Confession to the 35 Buddhas, where we make the prostrations, and the other one is the Vajrasattva practice. But what's key to both of those is, is, is generating these four opponent powers in our mind. And just doing, you know, one of these, uh, one of these, I guess I have to explain this in order to make this make sense. One of these four opponent powers is reliance. The power of reliance. There we have this foundation where we actually have some trust and faith in the refuge. We have the feeling like we have some trust in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. It's just like when you go 
to a doctor, and they've even proven this when you have surgeries. A person who has surgery who doesn't have faith and confidence in the surgeon will have a worse outcome. They've proven that. It's just the same analogy. If you're going to go to a doctor and you have a problem that's not like a real just sew it up and walk out the door, if you have something that's a little more complicated, you have to have some um, faith that, they're, that they know what they're talking about. Or else you don't, you know, it just doesn't work too well for your mind. You just doubt, you know, it doesn't work. And this is the same thing. This is the analogy. So we have this basis that we rely on. We rely on the Buddha, who is the teacher. We rely on the Dharma, which are the teachings. We rely on the Sangha, who are the, the nurses. And uh, so with that as a basis, when we when we apply these antidotes, when we do these practices, we have just naturally from doing the practices, some of our negativities will like be lifted just from doing the practices, just from reciting the mantras. If you just say mantras and you have like no conviction, you're just reciting words and it's not really going to do anything for you. You have to, you can't just, it's just like saying a prayer and saying, okay, fix me. That won't work. You have to have, it has to come from within. It has to, and you develop this slowly over time. But this is what refuge is about. And so when we do these different remedial actions, there is a, a power in doing them. And part of it, I think, is the basis of, of uh, your conviction or your refuge. So in uh, Tibet, I guess, um, it was actually common to have um, monks come to the home and recite the Wisdom Sutras, and that's why the Om Mani Pema Hum mantra is like all over the place. People would make physical representations of the Buddha. They'd make those Mani stones. They'd put up prayer flags, all of this. It didn't come just because they look cool. <laughs> they do look cool, but that isn't why... It was about having a conviction in, in the, the power of, of, of uh, holy objects. You know, they are only you, you imbue these things with meaning. They don't. The cloth doesn't have the meaning. <laughs> so a prayer flag doesn't have meaning because it's cotton and red and blue and you know it has meaning because we imbue things with meaning. Same thing with all of our objects. So we rely on these things because of how we use them in our mind. So that's the second power, is the power of applying the antidote. And then the third is turning away from faults. And this is like this is making a determination. There's a power to making determination for things where you make a you know, you make a commitment to restrain yourself. And that will just be ineffective unless you have the regret. It, it, it relies on, you know, you're really having thought through things and wanting, you know, seeing the harm, seeing the harm that things do. That was the thing I first realized, is that unless I could see the harm in something, I just didn't go anywhere for me at all. I had to see the harm. And so in, in the Buddhist palm rim, you know, the the teachings of the Buddha, it's so, so common for them to show the advantages and the disadvantages of something. We have to think that way or else we won't bother. 
know, it's just, it's the basic thing. We're trying to be happy and trying not to suffer. So we have to, in order for us to change our behaviors and even want to, we have to see the advantages and the disadvantages of things. So just that action itself of, of making this resolve, that itself um, is beneficial in terms of purification. It's, just, it's the idea of like, I don't know, this is the way I think of it. We have these karmic seeds. It's just like seeds that you put in the garden. Those seeds are not going to grow unless they have certain conditions. But without the seeds being there, <laughs> nothing happens either. So both things depend upon each other. When you do these purification practices, you are like taking those negative karmic seeds and you're like burning them or you're attenuating them or altering them. And so that determination itself has an effect and the effect is that it, it kind of like burnishes the seeds or it attenuates them and so, and so it changes the outcome. We don't really believe in like predetermination in Buddhism. We believe in karma and karma has this kind of like deed and result. The result hasn't come yet. So you can't say that you did a negative action when you apply these four opponent powers completely, fully, repeatedly. You can't say that that, that, that uh, action, even one that they say is a definite karma, one that, you know, they have these words when they explain this. Definite karma means one that you've done it completely. You've done all the steps it takes to do a complete action. That will lead to a result. That potency will not change. The result will come. But it hasn't come yet for some of ours. So we have this great opportunity to do purification and attenuate the result. We can take those seeds and burn them. We can make it so that if we know we have, like say, you know, like Venable says, if you know you're overweight, you just don't go in the ice cream shop. We can put our, not put ourselves in certain conditions for things that we have enough understanding of that we know, you know, you have the seeds. I have the seeds of anger. I know I do. Happens <laughs> every day. I can just, knowing that, I know that there are certain situations that I need to be more careful with or, you know, I just, I can kind of manage the conditions a little bit because I recognize I have the seeds. So you can go at this thing kind of from both sides. There's the seeds or the causes that we have and then there's the conditions. So I think that's very helpful to realize that, that making this determination, you're actually, you're actually damaging those seeds. And then... Uh, yeah, that's a, I don't know, it's really helpful. So just think about your gardens, you know. Your seeds, after they get three years old, a lot of times they don't sprout. <laughs> you know, and that's what, you know, what happens with karma. Sometimes uh, what they say is that, you know, when you do these purification practices, that some of the things that will happen is like the fruitional results will, like instead of being born in a horrible situation, you'll be born in a better situation. Or maybe instead of, you did something in the past where you really did some harm and you really sincerely regret it and you do these practices, then instead of that result that would have come, what you'll have is like a headache, you know? You'll have a headache instead. So I think that, you know, thinking along these lines, I think that probably for me, the most important thing is to realize that it's, an, it's so 
common, and I think we're actually raised to always be looking outside of ourselves. So whenever something bad happens, it's so common to blame external things, people, situations, whatever. We do that just so easily. The Buddha never talks about things in that way, ever. He explains all of these things as a result of our karma. We created the causes, and we have the opportunity to do something about the results. And so Geshe Sopa says, this is an interesting idea to me, is that the power of the Buddhas and the power of our karma are equal. You, if you've created completely all of the a complete karma, you've done all the steps to get the result, the Buddha can stand right next to you and you can't do a thing. You've already, they can't, the Buddha can't change it for you. We created the causes and we are the ones who have to work with our minds to attenuate the results. What can the Buddha do? The Buddha actually can teach us what we need to do. And by following the teachings, we can change the whole uh, fruition, the fruitional results. But the Buddha can't say, okay, I'm going to remove that negative karmic seed for you. It doesn't work that way. So this thing about taking complete responsibility for every action of our body, speech, and mind is so empowering because it's, it goes against the grain of what we tend to do, you know. We just, you know, it's so easy to complain about the weather, the situation, the people, whatever. But, you know, a lot of those things are just conditions. The actual causes are things that we've created. So that is, um, in terms of turning away from faults, we have to recognize there are faults. We have to get the resolve from within. And then the fourth power is the power of reliance. And this, um, as I said earlier, you know, it's like the basis, you know. And the other point about that, I think, is, is that there are uh, two practices that were taught about that. And one is, um, like we talked about earlier this morning. When we do harm, we usually are harming um, either sentient beings, like other people, creatures, or we're actually causing harm to, uh, in relationship to like the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. It's so, it happens. I mean, you just, anger can just destroy a lot of the virtuous things that we've done in the past. And some of those are in relationship to the holy beings. And so when we do this power of reliance, we're actually restoring the relationship with both. And with the Buddhas, we do it by taking refuge, which means that really in our hearts, we open ourselves to the understanding that, that the Buddha only taught things that lead to happiness. That the path is all about creating the causes of happiness. And, you know, that's one way to look at it. So we open ourselves to that. And then we turn to rely on the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Because they are the infallible gods. And so we try to cultivate some conviction in that over time. 
And that restores the relationship, helps to restore the relationship. And with sentient beings, you know, who have kind of trashed in one way, shape, or form, caused harm to, the complete opposite of that is the mind of bodhicitta, the altruistic intention, because that's completely a mind that has two intentions. One is we want to benefit others. In particular, I think by relieving their suffering. But it's all about benefiting others. Well, they're just complete opposites. The mind that harms and the mind that, that you know, benefits are opposites. They don't occur together. So in order to restore that relationship, so to speak, we want to cultivate within ourselves the wish to be a benefit to others and then the recognition that the, the best way to do that is to become enlightened. And so those are the two minds, the two intentions that make up the mind of bodhicitta. And they're just, it's just like complete opposites. Just like they say you can't have anger in the same moment that you have love. They just don't coexist in the same moment of time. It's the same. You can't have this self-cherishing, self-concern, preoccupation, <laughs> chronic illness uh, present at the same moment that you have this wish to benefit others and become enlightened for them. They just don't occur in the same moment. They can't. It's like a light is on or off. <laughs> no. You, know, you don't have darkness or light at the same time. You have maybe gradations, but still, there's one or the other. So it's interesting, I mean, just to close, is, uh, it's interesting that then they start talking about emptiness. In this, in this, I've read this like three times, so it's kind of fresh in my mind. And I, what I found most interesting about that is I was kind of thinking like, you know, emptiness isn't actually the one that's the most obscured, you know, the, an arhat has the realization of emptiness, but they don't have the realizations of the Buddha. A Buddha sees karma because they have the omniscient mind and they see future and past lives. So actually, even though we always think emptiness is way out beyond our grasp, it's closer than karma, <laughs> because it's not so obscured. And that was funny to think about because to me, emptiness is like, I always thought I might understand karma first. <laughs> no, I don't think so. But they say, uh, and this, this is what I think is more important, is that as, as we try to understand emptiness, it will actually help us to understand karma. And why is that? It's because emptiness is, has everything to do with things are completely dependent. Everything or dependent arisings. Things happen in dependence on each other. And what does that mean? It means there are causes. So that brings us right back to karma. So the more that we try to, you know, we can kind of use all of these things to enhance our understanding of, of things. So um, that's helpful because some of these things take a while and they're not that easy. But to, to see that, you know, that if, we're, if our understandings of emptiness are correct, it actually will it will enhance our understanding of karma. If we think that we're understanding ignorance, this is what they say, if we think we're understanding uh, emptiness and we're throwing out karma, then we're not understanding emptiness. I think that's helpful because we have to learn these things. I mean, this is completely at the learning level, but it's a good thing to remember as you go along so that when, when you get confused 
or fearful or something happens that, you know, sometimes these certain things, you just kind of pull them out of your hat and they help. So you have to have certain kind of teachings in your mind. And you want to smile, oh yeah, and then it just fits and it resolves the confusion. So that's pretty much it. Anyone have any questions or comments? Thank you for the opportunity. It's really helpful for me to focus on one thing. I was already reading this. And um, it's not the four opponent powers, but the part that led up to it was something I was already reading. And this really gave me the chance to, like, okay, I guess I better <laughs> keep reading this. <laughs> it gave me the opportunity to think about it. You know, it's always helpful. Yeah. Well, we can at this level understand basic rudimentary concepts of karma, right? Exactly. It's what we need to do. That's the part about the wisdom. We develop the wisdom of learning from doing that. And then even the wisdom of contemplating and discussing. Those are actual wisdoms. And and I like to think of it that way because I find that to be a very optimistic thought. And and I need optimism. (laughs) And so to think of these as a wisdom that helps to turn your mind towards what's wholesome, I think I said, you know, I, I find the teachings on the on listening always to be really helpful to my mind, and this is exactly why. I'm pretty far away from most of the realizations that, that you need to progress along the path. But I can read books, and I can think about these things. And when you read about the power and the wisdom of listening, it's just right clear there. This will lead to this will lead to this. And it's so encouraging to me. And so that's exactly it. By by studying that is actually one of one of the remedial actions that they talk about is actually reciting, teaching and studying the sutras and, and the teachings. That's why we feel good when we go to a Dharma talk, partly. It's because it's actually wholesome to our mind. And it actually is kind of attenuating some of our negative karmic propensities. I think that that makes sense. Okay, anything else? Sit for a minute and we'll just think about whatever spoke whatever thing you can remember. (laughs) We'll think about it and try to remember it for Mm. So at least we get into the house. <laughs> We're lucky. <laughs>